All right, everyone. Welcome to Notes from an Artist. I'm Tom Semioli, and my co-host is... David C. Gross. You may be listening to this on the radio. If you are, you are tuned into www.cygnusradio.com, C-Y-G-N-U-S, radio.com. David, do you know what a Cygnus is? What does the word Cygnus mean? It's a radio station. It means nothing. <laughs> it's meaningless like our lives. And you also may be listening to this on our podcast, and our podcast headquarters is Buzzsprout, but you can catch us wherever podcasts are potted amazon spotify uh, what else we see a little potted Apple. today we seen a little what potted potted yes we are pot we're potted plants david and i are potted plants and if you uh like to watch the videos like those kids do on the tiktok and the youtube we do have our own youtube channel notes from an artist oddly enough that's what we call it and we're not on tiktok or tinder or anything else like that no dating sites well, i don't know about you uh <laughs> or Snapchat for that matter. But we're here now, we're live, we're as live as we can be at our advanced age. So um, Tom, <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about a, a, a topic that you and I are really uh, passionate about, and that is the former William Perks, William George Perks Jr., better known to the world as Bill Wyman, bassist for the Rolling Stones. And this is going to be a very special show for us. Well, they're all special shows because the Rolling Stones have released in their latest archive series, what I feel is the best recording of Bill Wyman live. It's called El Macambo 1977. And as the title implies, it was recorded live at the El Macambo Club, which is a club venue in Toronto. What happens when two bass road warriors spend quality time talking music and life with one of their peers? Bassist educator, author David C. Gross, and bassist and head honcho of KnowYourBassPlayer.com, Tom Semioli, trade eights with the legends of rock, jazz, funk, blues, folk, country, and more. Notes from an artist, revealing conversations with the legends who've created the soundtrack of our lives. What happens? You're about to find out. It's another episode of Notes from an Artist. David, you played the Elma Combo. Tell me about that uh, venue. It's a great room. It's upstairs. It was also a couple of weeks after this recording was done. Everyone at the club was buzzing about, oh, we have the Rolling Stones here a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, now you've got us. And so <laughs> there you have it. It's a nice club. It's, it's got a similar vibe to uh, the bottom line. The sound was great. It's a great place to play. And one of the benefits of Toronto is they have probably one of the best Chinatowns okay. in the world. Wow. An important note, of course. Musicians, it's either food or <laughs> performing. Or it's Wo Hop if you're a New York musician, right? That's the... There uh, you go. That's the, the Dumpling Palace. As a matter of fact, we should Hop sponsor us. We should. You can hop. To Woe Hop. <laughs> and let's give a shout out to our favorite, uh, one of our Notes from an Artist Orchestra members. Lorraine Leckie is a native of Toronto, Ontario. But let's talk a little bit about William Perk, Bill Wyman, otherwise. He uh, was born in 1936. He was a bit older than the other Rolling Stones, about seven, eight years. He was in the Rolling Stones from 1962 until 1993. He was replaced by Daryl Jones. But Bill uh, remained active with his Bill Wyman Rhythm Kings Ensemble, which is a rotating cast. Everyone from George Harrison, Peter Frampton, Georgie Fame have been in that ensemble. So that's, um, if you want to check out some of Bill's solo work, absolutely go to Rhythm Kings. Bill wanted to return to the blues, I guess, after he uh, left the Rolling Stones. He thought uh, 30 years was a good run for him. Bill is a journalist. He, he's been keeping a private journal since uh, he was a child uh, during World War II. He did serve in the uh, British Air Force. 
He's also an amateur archaeologist, and he's published books on archaeology. He's published a couple of great archival Rolling Stones books, just with memorabilia, the various outfits they wore, the concert posters, promotions, and things like that. He joined the Stones in 1962 when Tony Chapman told him that a rhythm and blues band needed a bass player, and the band was impressed by the fact that not only did Bill have an electric bass, which was rare in those days, but he also had an amplifier. <laughs> a Vox AC30. So he got into the group. And we always reflect upon Bill Wyman when we, you, David, you and I discuss bass. He, he's really a, a disciple of Willie Dick. Absolutely, which is why he ripped all the frets out of his bass. Come on, he may be the very first recorded fretless bass player. Right. He had a small scale bass because Bill is only about five foot four. And that was a UK uh, Dallas tuxedo bass. And he was it's a 30 inch short scale bass, which, again, as you say, he ripped out the frets. I guess he pulled them out with a plier. He always plays short scale basses. And among them was the famous uh, famous star bass. Right. And another other frame is bases, which I think but that was a German company, correct? Yes, it was. They actually partnered with Warwick now. Okay. He had the signature Vox teardrop base, David. Did you did you ever see those in the sixties? Yes, but uh I, I think the first one I saw was Brian Jones had a had a teardrop guitar. guitar. Right. It was a right. great shape. It really, really was. Yeah, I'm sorry I never got one. Uh, they used to be uh, used to be able to find them in vintage shops, but now they they pretty much disappeared. He uh, in the 19, late 1969, of course, on the famous um, Get Your Yaya's Out tour, he played a Fender Mustang bass, my beloved Fender Mustang. I love that. He did uh, play the Dan Armstrong basses. Remember the clear, the Lucite? Which is kind of funny because when you think about the Mustang, what's the Mustang weigh? Mustang, gosh, doesn't weigh anything, David. That's why I love that instrument. Right, and then he goes to the plexiglass which weighs about 11 pounds. <laughs> what is your opinion of the Dan Armstrong? You ever try those out? Yeah, I thought it was horrible. Okay. Well, Wyman has been known to say some basses record better than others and some are better on stage, as we know. He did try a Gibson EB3 out for a while in uh, around 1973, around Goat's Head Soup. And then when I first saw the Stones in the late 70s, he was playing a Travis Bean bass, David. Didn't those have the aluminum neck? Wasn't that yes, the... they did. And it was funny uh, playing those outside the next week, really cold. I had the Kramer version. Kramer had a, right. an eight-string version with the um, metal neck. Right, right. And then he also played a Steinberger bass for a while when I saw them circa 1981. He had my beloved Steinberger, which I enjoy. He also had a Steinberger. He had the, the wafer one, the XL. And he also had the bass with the full body. And then, of course, uh, Bass Center has a, a signature Bill Wyman bass, which um, is sort of a composite of his uh, older basses, sort of like the Framus bass. And when Bill reunited with the Stones, I think it was on, I think it was 2012 now, about 10 years ago, gosh, for their 50th anniversary show at the O2 in London, he uh, uses his Bill Wyman signature bass. And that's a fun little instrument. I played that when I was in London. Very tempting. It's not not too pricey either. So, If I recall, didn't he take that original framus and cut the body back as well? Yes, he did. Right. He modified the body. That bass was on display at his Sticky Fingers restaurant, which was in Kensington. But I understand that restaurant no, no longer exists. So I it's in his, if that was from COVID. I think it was. Yeah, I think it did close down during COVID. Uh, the UK had a hard time of it as well. I know he sold a lot of his guitar collection with Sotheby's a few years ago. And that now, Mustang- there's a good question. Why would someone 
who really doesn't need the money sell off his instruments. I mean, that that's kind of odd, don't you think? That is interesting. I know he has a twisted personal life, and we don't talk about folks with personal lives with regards to who would get the spoils from his career. Don't forget, Bill left the Stones in 93 before they really made the real ridiculous money that they make now. Now, I imagine he's still a partner in the Stones, in the Rolling Stones empire, but you don't know to what extent. It's interesting we learn more about these supergroups that some members don't get paid as much as other members, right? And we also learn, obviously, Bill didn't write on the records, or the Rolling Stones refused to give him credit, Mick and Keith. I would be interested to find out if Nanker Fledge was equal payments. Good question. Yeah, things we'll never know. So I, I would think Bill Wyman is comfortable. It's interesting, I think, with a lot of uh, legacy artists selling off their publishing. Now you saw Springsteen, obviously the Bowie estate, uh, Neil Young sold his publishing, among others. That What happens when the artist dies? The family fights over. Better to get it out of the way now and, I guess, put everything in a trust fund. I don't know. We have but to ask still in all, I, How much do you think he can get for some of those bases? I mean, really. Oh, he got a fortune for the high price. He got, well, the, who would buy a million dollar Babe Ruth baseball card? There are millionaires and billionaires out there that want this stuff. And yeah, he did quite well. Some of his instruments, I think if you look on the Sotheby's website or you go on to um, Ultimate Classic Rock website, you can see how much these these instruments went for. And I'd love to have a Bill Wyman Mustang bass, although the one I have is the same one he has, only Bill Wyman's never played it. Right, so you're basically paying all that money because somebody famous touched it. Yes. Well, if you can afford it, David, I guess. That's a real intelligence way to go about things. (laughs) Well, what can I tell you, David? (laughs) Let me ask you this, David. Now, I came to the Rolling Stones as a fan in 1973 because I was born in 1960. So I got to miss the Stones when they first came to the America in 1965 or 64. I remember, of course, seeing them on the Ed Sullivan Show, and they were the antithesis to the Beatles. But talk about your generation's impression of the Rolling Stones. What effect did they have on the teenagers in your age group? Well, I think in my age group in particular, the difference, you were either a Stones fan or a Beatles fan. You weren't both, at least for the most part. I originally was in the the Beatles camp. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Get Off of My Cloud that I started veering in the other direction. I liked all their hits. Talk about fretless bass. You think 19th Nervous Breakdown. The end of that song is that floppy. Yeah, Glissando. And of course, let's not forget the harmony he plays in Satisfaction, which makes that song a hit. He does not play a unison line with Keith. No, I think he goes to the ninth. If you think about it, how many top 40 bands where you get stuck at a restaurant that had a top 40? band playing and they played it in unison and you just wanted to get up there and smack them silly (laughs) come on listen to the damn song you imbecile or mr imbecile or mrs imbecile or as it may be well uh, in addition to that the importance of the stones uh, and of course along with the animals the yardbirds cream and later on free and humble pie they reintroduced blues to american audiences and for that they have to be cited they were pretty much the leaders You know, you bring up the animals, and the animals were a a great band. Sure. Yet, I think to women, my girlfriend and her friends back then, the animals were kind of scary, where the stones were kind of sexy and bad. And I think that was a difference. But as you know, for me, once I got into the stones, 
I started getting into a band called The Pretty Things. The original bass player of The Stones, Dick Taylor, was lead guitarist in The Pretty Things. And to me, that first Pretty Things album is probably the best punk rock album of all time. Absolutely. And if you're a fan of Notes from an Artist Orchestra, and you should be, we have two gentlemen that usually come on for our encores, Gas Wild and Don Blackhat Stabnik. We always do Pretty Things songs with them. So if you catch us Absolutely. live... You'll get some. Um, once again, in, in talking about the Pretty Things being the very first punk band, at least that record being the first punk album, it would not be the first punk album if it wasn't for the Rolling Stones, because the Rolling Stones were really the first punks. Yeah, I guess you could say that absolutely. They, they didn't smile on television. They did not uh, dress alike, which was the showbiz standard of those days. Tell me about the Yardbirds. Were they as influential do you think is the animals and the stones or that was that a little bit later i don't think in america they were ever okay. as influential as a band okay. as a springboard for some of the greatest guitar players of all time yes that's i think more of what the uh yardbirds are are remembered for now remember my sister was friends with jim mccarty the drummer right and Who we've spoken to we've interviewed him right Right. And, and I was at a TV taping where they did I'm a Man off the Rave Up album. Okay. And if you think about it, if I was Giorgio Gomoleski and if he was still alive, I'd ask him this question. Why in God's name, when you have evil hearted you, uh, Mr. You're a Better Man Than I, and you decide to play I'm a Man, you're not thinking commercially at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the crux of the Yardbird issue in America. Right. They they had some hits, but they were sort of an also-ran, unfortunately. I mean, think about Shapes of Things. What an incredible song. Oh, yes. It yes. became a hit for Jeff Beck. Right, right. And I think the Yardbirds also had little problems with record distribution, because even if you go back now to find some of their records, they came out on various labels, and I think a British version came out here, and there was an American version. And well, kind of you're garbage. right about that, but then uh, add to that the one album that they thought would be the commercial classic, which was really a new Yardbirds record in so many ways, was the little games. It right. never came out anywhere else in the world. America is the only um, country that had little games. And that was a great song. That was the now, Jimmy Page on, version. On the other side of the coin, there were Great Shakes commercials where the Yardbirds did a Great Shakes commercial using the music to over under sideways down. Couple mm -hmm. that with the fact that Psychotic Reaction by the Count Five, an American band, was basically a Yardbirds tune that they co-opted completely. Interesting. Yardbirds have to be known for bringing uh, the world Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck. That was Jeff Don't Beck and Jimmy Mr. Page. Page. <laughs> Don't forget Jimmy Page, who um, actually played on a Stones session, which I will get to in a second. Now, my generation, I came to the Rolling Stones in 1973. And by then, I think the Stones probably had done their best work. 1972 was Exile on Main Street, which was considered the last great Rolling Stones record. And I know my first uh, experience of them was the Mick Taylor version of the Rolling Stones. Now, I like to say with Brian Jones, the Rolling Stones were artists. With Mick Taylor, they were rockers. And with Ronnie Wood, they were entertainers. Tell me, David, you remember more than I do. What happened? What was the what was the feeling among rock fans when Mick Taylor replaced uh, Brian Jones? I think to a certain extent, a lot of people were upset 
upset primarily because I think we all grew up with that idea that the bands stick together. I don't know where we got that idea, but this was a big deal. You think for a second, okay, so the first John Mayall record, you have Eric Clapton. The second John Mayall album, you have Peter Green. And then Crusade, which is never really talked about in the same breath as A Hard Road and the Beano record, which is probably one of the best John Mayall records of all time. You have had this incredible musician joining the Rolling Stones. Mm. It it didn't make sense because, I mean, really, listen, Keith Richards and Brian Jones were great, but neither one of them were, were of the stature of a Mick Taylor. Right. And so your first thought is, oh, this guy joined the band for the money. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and he was all of 21 at the time. Now, for me, 1973, the Stones were kind of the old guard but somehow they managed to stay contemporary. And you have to give credit uh, to Mick Jagger for that because, you know, the rift between Mick and Keith is Keith is a, more of a blues purist and, and Mick likes to follow trends. And in 1973, uh, funk and R&B, uh, R&B had given way to funk and you had artists like the Spinners and Stevie Wonder on the radio. Of course, James Brown was still doing great work. You had Parliament Funkadelic. And what I like about Goat's Head Soup is it has that funk. It has a lot. Billy Preston is on there playing a lot of funky keyboards. Bill Wyman is hardly on that album. I think he's only on uh, three tracks, which we'll talk about. For some reason, they like to take the bass out of Bill's hands or when he didn't show up for a session or how to take care of his kids, they certainly they somehow wax the bass tracks. And uh, I don't know why that is. But the Stones were able to, in 73 and 74 and 75, still appeal to my generation and one of the few rock bands that did make the leap from the 60s uh, to the 70s. I can say the same thing with Eric Clapton. Now, my first experience with Eric Clapton was in 74. I shot the sheriff. To me, Cream was, well, the old, my older brothers and my older brothers like Cream. But we got Eric Clapton. And this version of the Stones to me was, you know, the one I grew up on until, of course, Ronnie came along in uh, 75, I guess it was. So it wasn't too much longer. This show at the El McCombo Club, they hadn't played a gig in seven months, which was a long time for a rock band. Barbara Trudeau was in the audience. She was uh, Pierre Trudeau's wife and she was a party girl. Right? She was yes, a celebrity. She was. Yes, she was. Uh, Keith was dealing with uh, various drug busts, which we'll say for the uh, gossip magazines. They did a warm-up show at the El Macombo, which wound up on side three of a fabulous record called Love You Live. Now, for those of you who uh, go on eBay and shop for records, go look for the Love You Live double record because it's worth the price of admission just for Andy Warhol's artwork. And if you really want to see what the 70s looked like, David... This record cover, which I'm showing here, obviously you can't see it on the radio. It's like a copy of Interview Magazine, if you will. Exactly. You look at that. There's Mick sticking his tongue out on the records. There's Bill Wyman biting another body part. That might be Charlie. All right. See what cocaine does to you, David? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) I I think you're jumping too far ahead too quickly. Okay. Go bring me back, David. Bring me back. I think the very first three Stones albums were some of the most important records and are still relevant today. First being England's newest hitmakers. Right. The second album, which I, 12 by 5, which I think may be the greatest Rolling Stones record. Okay. Uh, what are the tracks me, on 12 by 5? 
That was, uh, you uh, have Empty Heart, uh, The Last Times on uh, 12 by 5. Okay. Uh, Can I Get a Witness? Now I've Got a Witness. Right. But still doing blues standards. Yeah. And then the, uh, uh, Rolling Stones Now, you have their version of Mona, which is just right. absurd. How great that is. Then the next era of the Stones, obviously, you have to consider Exile on Main Street to be uh, the the penultimate record. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really one where they... after that? They they got they went back to blues. Well, be, let's go a little bit previous. I'll drag you back now. Sticky Fingers is for any other band that would probably be a greatest hits album when you think of all the great tracks. Can You Me Knock and Brown Sugar, Bitch, Wild Horses, Sway. That was a remarkable record. And then, of course, before that was Let It Bleed, which had, of course, the title track, which was a hit. And then it had Give, Give Me Shelter, Love in Vain. Uh, many uh, Monkey Man, many of the signature Stones records, and then the record that we tributed with the notes from an artist orchestra, Beggar's Banquet, which is right. probably uh, again you want to argue about great Stones record. That's when the Stones really became the Rolling Stones. That's when they that's when they really I think integrated their early influences and became their own band. They, whereas they were doing sort of R and B covers, and again doing the important work of reintroducing that to new to to Americans. They became the Rolling Stones in 1968 with that record. Okay, you, you can say that. You're allowed. <laughs> I'm allowed to say we're on the radio. We go, who's going? Yes, the, but the, I, the, I, the, the thing is, is we were talking about what happened when the Beatles and the Stones first came about, uh-huh. and I think that if you look at the first Beatles record, which was pretty well a lot of covers, right? Right. The uh, well, no. Let's see. The Please Please Me record had a few covers. No, no, no. I'm thinking of Meet the Beatles in America. Meet the Beatles in America. I don't know. Uh, there was a couple of covers uh, till there was you and a couple of others. I don't have it in front of me. It was still mostly Lennon and McCartney, but yes, it did have covers. It also was where Willie Dixon played on the Chuck Berry record. The Beatles were modeling to a certain extent. You know, up through the first few albums, I roll over Beethoven, for instance. Right. Chuck Berry thing. The Stones were deeper into it. So where Willie Dixon played on a Chuck Berry record, the Stones really looked at Willie Dixon, the composer. Right. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, you you also have to take into consideration the Beatles were a pop band. That's what they were. They were a vocal pop band. The Rolling Stones were more a rock and roll band, a rhythm and blues band. And obviously, since they play fast and loud, they were... They were a rock and roll band. So really coming from two different camps. And it's interesting to call what uh, McCartney, right? He recently uh, punked the Stones and what he just says, oh, yeah, they're a pretty good blues band. Well, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> That's what they always were. But right. I mean, it's it, it was a perfect storm, obviously, to have the Beatles and the Rolling Stones come out together. I love what Tom Petty said about that. And I feel the same way about Mott the Hoople from my generation. He said, when the Beatles came out, he says, we couldn't possibly imagine ourselves as the Beatles. They were too perfect. They sang great. They played great. And also understand the Beatles, when they came to America, they'd already been together for like six years. They they, they, they were halfway through. Right. They were halfway through their career. And, you know, the Beatles were too perfect. Then the Rolling Stones came along. And then we said, hey, you know what? I I think we can give that a shot. <laughs> because they had, and I, it's a funny, because I related that same story to Ian Hunter uh, when I went to interview uh, over in an Ian uh, back in 2013 about Mott the Hoople. I said, yeah, my generation, we couldn't envision ourselves as Elton John. He was Captain Fantastic, Bernie Taupin and Elton John. My goodness, the two greatest songwriters of our generation, of any generation. And we certainly couldn't imagine ourselves as David Bowie, right? He was a spider from Mars. You couldn't be that. But we could. We looked at Mott the Hoople and said, hey, wait a second. I think that's doable. I think we can get away with this stuff. So 
Yes, I think if I were uh, a few years older and I had experienced the Stones and the Beatles first, I'd have definitely run to the Stones camp, uh, absolutely. Think about some of the other things. The British invasion would never have happened without the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a given. But when you look at some of the bands that came out of the British invasion, you think of Tobacco Road by um, Nashville Teens, right. Do Diddy by Manfred Mann, Sure. And animals and all those. None of those bands would have made it in this country if it wasn't for the Rolling Stones. Exactly. Exactly. And so the Beatles were made it possible for the Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones made it possible for a lot of bands. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And interesting, of course, the Beatles wrote the Stones' first quasi-hit, which was I Want to Be Your Man. Which is a blues. Which is a blues tune. So see. (laughs) So there you go, Paul McCartney. All right. Anyway. Take your 12 bars. Take your 12 bars, Paul. But uh, getting back to this Macombo record, like I said, it was side three of uh, the Love You Live record. And this has an interesting set list. What I like about this record is that Bill gets to play bass on some of the songs that he didn't play bass on in the studio. And of course, you and I always banter about guitar players playing bass, right? It's easy. It's only four strings. I mean, you know. Six strings, actually. Well, that's you. The same, you know, I I feel when I listen to, when people talk about Keith Richards as a bass player, he's more of a riff player is what he is. And I think when when you listen to Bill on the Stones live albums where Keith originally did the recorded bass parts, Bill certainly embellishes that and and, and go no further than the uh, Get Your Yaya's Out, the 1969 live album, which is often cited as one of the greatest live albums and the Stones' best live album. I kind of disagree with that after hearing El Combo. I thought Yaya's was a bit muddy and a bit sludgy. And of course, that was how live records sounded in 1960. They didn't have the uh, remastering technology that we do today. But some of the songs we get to hear Bill play on, Tumbling Dice, which Mick Taylor actually did uh, original baseline on that record from uh, Exile on Main Street. We hear Bill play on It's Only Rock and Roll, which was originally Willie Weeks. That's when uh, Willie was doing a record with Ronnie Wood and somehow Mick Jagger finagled the song It's Only Rock and Roll out of Ronnie Wood to, to put it on their record which at the time was uh, It's Only Rock and Roll that became the title track of their record and then Ronnie joined the Stones and the rest as they say is history. We get to hear Bill on Rip This Joint which was upright player Bill Plummer on the Exile from Main Street album and then we get to hear Bill play on Crazy Mama which was on Black and Blue which was the current Stones album at the time that they did the Macombo so nice to hear Bill embellish those Keith Richards bass lines absolutely and I think I'm having an issue with you saying that Yaya's isn't the best Stones record All right, David well you tell uh, me why why is that David for me with these old ears the energy and Charlie's playing good tonight he really was that was and and through all the mud and this, that, and the other thing, that's just a fabulous record. Their their version of Midnight Rambler is untouchable. Untouchable. Okay. Well, David, I, I, I'm not saying it's a terrible live. Get your yayas out. I'm not saying it's a terrible live. I mean, I do like the expanded version that came out in 2019 where they also added the opening sets bb king and ike and tina turner and that was right. very important uh, to both their careers because it, it exposed bb to a larger audience opening up for the rolling stones which he was he's always said he was very grateful for and of course ike and tina turner bringing them to wide audiences right. and the right. importance of of their work too so uh yeah the but stones if you that really was great want to talk to about a shitty i mean a really shitty sounding stones record get got live if you want it right which was i think some of that was doctored 
Obviously, I think they took some outtakes and, and actually threw cheering on it. Yeah, that was probably one of Andrew Lou Goldham's sort of try to get back at the Beatles with all the screaming and, and the mess that that record is. Although they're actually, Bill sounds good on it, actually. You, the bass somehow booms through. And of course, on the American version, it was an EP in, in England, in the UK, in Europe. Right. But it was a full-fledged album, and the announcer, I don't know who this is, over there, Billy Wyman, and then they rip into Under My Thumb. Yeah, that's who I care about. I care about Bill Wyman. Now, the song listing on this uh, El McCombo Club, it's, it starts off with Honky Tonk Woman, which is misspelled on the album. Mick, you really got to do your uh, quality control over there. All Down the Line is on that record, Hand of Fate, Route 66, Fool to Cry, Crazy Mama, Managed Boy, Cracking Up, Dance Little Sister, Around and Around, and Tumbling Dice. They also uh, render Hot Stuff, Star Star, Let's Spend the Night Together, Worried Life Blues, there's an old blues song, Little Red Rooster, another great uh, Old Stones track. They did uh, It's Only Rock and Roll, which was a fairly new song back then. They um, rendered Rip This Joint, Brown Sugar, Jumpin' Jack Flash, They and they did a medley uh, with Luxury, which was on the... Uh, it's only rock and roll. Um, and worried about you, which showed up later on Tattoo You. So this is classic Stones in the 1970s. And Bill is right up in the mix. Interesting to see Bill was not a funk player. As a matter of fact, when they did Fingerprint File, one of my favorite funky Rolling Stones tracks, that's actually Mick Taylor on bass. But Bill really had a good grasp of reggae. And you hear that on uh, Manish Boy and Cracking Up. I yeah. think he really he embraced that style. And again, Bill Wyman was a man of few notes, but his slurs and his hammer-ons and his tones, again, such a such a disciple of Willie Dixon. And it really, what I love about Bill and Charlie is when the Stones play up-tempo tunes, they often play halftime. Bill Wyman was never a speedy bass player. You're right. Well, you had to mention Char uh, Charlie Watts because he, too, some of those beats are really bizarre. Yeah. Well, he always turned the beat around, which I love. He knew when to go to a ride symbol. Of course, Charlie was a jazz disciple. That's what he loved. He loved big band jazz. The one solo record he did was a, a big band jazz record. So well, I, I think uh, he, he did a, I have it somewhere around the house, the Charlie Parker Yes. Thing. And, and there's a book with the CD of, of something called Bird. I, it's probably around downstairs somewhere. All right. We'll dig that one up. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think what, what gave the Stones their longevity, always made them intriguing, is that you had a jazz drummer and a blues bass player in a rock and roll band. We learned from Keith in his book, Life, that he learned how to do um, chord inversions, not chord inversions, alternate tunings from Graham Parsons, I think, was one of the guys who showed him that. Right. And another one, I don't, I'm not sure if it was Ry Cooter. I'll have to look that up. And no, it was Ry Cooter. You're it was Ry Cooter. Right. Okay. Who auditioned for the Stones? That was a big, big growing point for the Stones. And for kids like myself who grew up in garages playing in garage bands, when we did Rolling Stones songs, they never sounded like the Rolling Stones. I'm like, wait a second, we're playing the same chords. No, we weren't playing Keith's five-string alternate. Exactly. You were playing the right chords, you just weren't playing them the right way. Right. And they didn't have shows like Notes from an Artist that could tell you about this stuff. Baby. Well, that's it. And now <laughs> we're not going to tell you because uh, we want you to still create these songs the wrong way. <laughs> Absolutely. The uh, only people that can create them the right way, Notes from an Artist Orchestra. Uh, Absolutely. Because we have all the know-how. <laughs> We're musos, as we've been That's accused it. of being. Toby Amy's calls us musos. Right, but he doesn't realize he's not insulting us when he refers to the refers to us as it's musos. It's true. Well, let's talk about some of the Bill Wyman tracks, some of the tracks we're going to play for you. Obviously, we're going to play some of the tracks that we mentioned when we talked about the pretty things and the Yardbirds, but let's 
We're going to play some tracks for you from the El Combo record. Oh, let me get, before I say that, David, I am very angry at the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger in particular. I don't know if Keith has anything to do with this. The artwork to the El Combo record, which is not very good, not very impressive, does not have a picture of Bill Wyman. They make it look like the Stones are a quartet here. You got Ronnie, Charlie, Mick, and Keith, and Bill is out of the picture. Now, on a couple right. of reasons, you've been telling me this for a while, and originally I agreed with you. You did, Dave. And I may end up agreeing with you again, but when was that record done? The record was made in 19. This record was recorded. It's an archival release from 1977. When did it come out? Oh, again? it came out uh, this year. It came out in 2022, Dave. Right. So it was some fucking millennial screwed it up. Probably. And I think they said, well, we're sorry about that, but got it all done. So let's just put it out there. I'm thinking that's closer to the truth because I do not see the Stones dissing Bill Wyman. That to me would be extraordinarily absurd. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong, David. Now, you know, I'm usually the guy who's wrong in all these discussions. Well, even if I'm wrong, I'm right. Well, that's the whole point. That's the name. That was the original name of the show was even when I'm wrong, I'm right. But we changed it to notes from an artist to uh, David likes to patronize more of a ring to it. Right, Mark Bosch? Right. A ring around my neck. I think it was in the late 90s. The Rolling Stones released an archival album entitled Rarities, which wasn't really rare, which just a few remixes. And it has on the cover of a still from the Stones doing their, their video Respectable, and they airbrushed Bill Wyman out of that picture. Bill was right okay, next to Charlie. When was that record released? That was 1997. Or, or and when did uh, Bill Wyman leave the band? 1992. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's an archival release. Technically, if you want to get picky... Charlie Watts passed in 2021, so he was a dead stone in 2022, but they put him on it. How could you be a dead stone? You're a stone, you're a stone. (laughs) He was stone dead, David. He popped his claw. The late, great Charlie Watts. His picture is on it. So there's no reason. Bill Wyman was a founding member of the Rolling Stones. This was the Rolling Stones as they appeared in 1977. Bill Wyman should be in the album art. Come on. When the Beatles put out archival releases, Revolver, they just put out, which you and I are not terribly big fans of. They didn't airbrush George and John out, did they? No. So Mick Jagger, if you're listening. I've got an idea. Why don't don't we from now on get all notes from an artist pictures put bill wyman i think we'll <laughs> i think we shall do that and, and mick jagger if you're listening and i know you are and keith if you're listening because you live near david in connecticut um we got a, we got right. a problem here we, we we got a major bone to pick that you need to reinstate bill on the uh, album art even though folks really don't buy albums anymore uh that's that's shame shame on them i i would imagine maybe keith holds a grudge because bill is the only guy to leave the stones so mick jagger and keith richards who lives near you david connecticut that's right uh, we we he got hasn't some... been over the house. He has. Well, maybe he is. Actually, as we so rudely interrupted ourselves, let's talk about some of the songs that we're going to play for you. Obviously, we're going to play some of the ones we mentioned earlier. The Stones tracks we're going to play from El Combo are uh, Cracking Up, which is they do a reggae uh, version of that. We're going to do Rip This Joint, which was from the uh, originally from uh, Exile on Main Street. And we're going to do Worried About You, which would emerge later on the Stones' fabulous Tattoo You record in 1981. Uh, we're 
We're going to play Chuck Berry's version of Around and Around, which the Stones play on the Elmo Camba album. We're going to play uh, Muddy Waters' Manish Boy, which the Stones do a fabulous job on it. And I think there's video out there of the Stones actually playing Manish Boy with... In uh, Chicago with Muddy Waters. Yeah, yeah it's, a great, it's a great documentary, actually. Yeah, go seek that one out, and our uh, Judge Joe Gagliardo will... Uh, Fix you up there. Uh, our Chicago Bureau. Uh, Notes from an artist Chicago Bureau with Joe Gag. We're also going to play Howlin' Wolf's Wang Dang Doodle from the Howlin' Wolf London Sessions album, which features Bill Wyman, Charlie Watts, Eric Clapton, and Ian Stewart. Okay. We're also going to play Big Massio Merriweather. We're going to play Worried Life Blues, which the Stones play on the El Combo record. And I think also Eric Clapton's done that on uh, a few of his live records. Big Massio Merriweather, David. Um, I, is we're it also Maceo gonna, or is it Maceo? Maybe it's Maceo, David. I am the Norm Crosby of uh, Notes from an Artist, so I can't. <laughs> the Slip Mahoney of Notes from an Artist. <laughs> Toidy, toid, and toid. Toid, yeah. <laughs> uh, from Bill Wyman and the Rhythm Kings. Got to play a couple of Rhythm Kings songs. We're going to play Melody, which is on the Stones' Black and Blue album, which was the Stones' latest release when they did the El Combo show. That's a great album, by the way. And uh, that album, the Melody is on their album, uh, Strutting Our Stuff from 1997. And that is Eric Clapton, slow hand on lead guitar. So that's from the album Strutting Our Stuff. You know Check that one out. I'd like to play because they did a fabulous version of Harlem Shuffle. Let's do Harlem Shuffle, which the Stones And covered. the original is very, very good. Great. We'll do that one. We'll play Can't Get My Rest at Night. That's from the Groovin' album with Mick Taylor on slide guitar, recorded in the 90s. I'd also like to play uh, Tobacco Road from Strutting Our Stuff with Max Middleton. Where do we know him from, David? Uh, Chris Rea's band. All right. And the Jeff Beck group, my favorite version of Jeff Beck uh, with the Rough and Ready uh, Orange album. And, of course, he was on Blow by Blow as well. Max Middleton on piano. Paul Carrick on vocals. You remember him. And a guy named Peter Frampton on guitar. And Gary Booker, Gary Brooker, excuse me, on keys. And that's what I love about the uh, Bill's Rhythm Kings. He really got his mates together and real, real some in very important people from British Blues. Hey, one of our good friends, John Altman, was in the band. He was playing horn. All right. Well, maybe we can dig up... Uh, I think John might be on that track. I don't know. Wait, we have so many famous friends, David. It's hard to keep up, you know. Yeah, it's, really, really. It's a wonder there's We're no paparazzi. so pop- influential. Well, because you live in a ghetto in Connecticut, you don't have any paparazzi. That's true. <laughs> That's true. They come here all the time to just see how I can manage. <laughs> Also, we're going to play a track, a track from an album called Jammin' with Edward, which is essentially the Rolling Stones without uh, Keith Richards. It's Ry Cooter on guitar, and we're going to play the track It Hurts Me Too. That's Mick, uh, Charlie, Nicky Hopkins, and Ry Cooter. And um, it's interesting, this was, uh, I guess, the first tour, maybe the second tour that Ronnie Wood did. And so many American guitar players auditioned for the Stones. Harvey Mandel was among them. Wayne Perkins also auditioned for the Stones. And he said they flew him out to London, and rather than hear him play, David, he just went into a dark room and stood under a spotlight. Then he stood next to Mick under a spotlight. Then he stood next to Keith under a spotlight. Then he stood next to Mick and Keith under a spotlight. Well, Charlie Watts looked on, and that was the audition. They didn't need him to play. He was a swamper. They knew he could play. That was very interesting. We've also had a few friends of ours audition for the Rolling Stones, most notably bass player John Reagan when uh, Bill Wyman quit. And uh, very interesting the way John explained to us that they were upset with Bill leaving. It, it it hurt them. John said there was definitely a vibe in the room that they were they were very disappointed that uh, Bill Wyman had left the Rolling Stones. Our friend Kenny Aronson auditioned 
also. Interesting that they chose Daryl Jones. I think um, obviously there's the Miles Davis connection and and according to legend, they they let Charlie make the final decision. I, I can't imagine making Keith ever oh, allowing it. Why not? He is the yeah. drummer. You would think, you would think. And Daryl, of course, what I like about Daryl uh, with the Stones is that he does reference Bill Wyman in certain spots, but he does his own thing, obviously more of an R&B approach. And a very good interview with him on um, Rock on Tours with Guy Pratt and Martin Kemp. Yeah, I think Daryl was kind of the right choice. I think some people said, well, you should have had Joey Sampanato, uh from NRBQ, who plays a lot like Bill Wyman and was also also in the uh, Chuck Berry movie with Keith Richards uh, produced Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. Well, I, I think there was as much tension as there was regarding Bill leaving the band and how upset they were. There was also tension from Jagger and Richards. So I get the feeling that Jagger went out more so than Keith. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know. That's what I'm supposing. Well, it's interesting when they did their 50th anniversary show, uh, Bill Wyman was, a, a, uh, I saw him on a, on, a, on a BBC morning show. He's a bit grouchy about it that they didn't tell him what songs they were going to play with him. They said, oh, come on, Bill, you know, <laughs> you know all our songs. And they only had him come out for two songs and they asked him to come to America with uh, the Stones on their 50th anniversary trek. And Bill, I think, has an aversion to flying now anyway, but he says, well, I'm not coming to America just to be on, to play on two st- songs. And of course, Bill has a thriving career anyway on his own with his, uh, you know, his his books and, and his Rhythm Kings. And uh, I think Mick Taylor offered... Great documentary as well. Oh, yeah, right. The Quiet One, Bill Wyman. That's essential, uh, essential viewing for all Stones fans. Mick Taylor took the offer because I guess he needs the... Needs the uh, the Ducats more than Bill Wyman. Yeah, they, I think he did two songs with them. I think uh, Honky Tonk Woman and some other songs. It's interesting what Bob Dylan said that without Bill Wyman, the Stones are now a dance band. But I have to give, again, I, I do give props to Daryl Jones for doing his own thing. And I like the fact that Daryl, in the last few videos I've seen, or at least the last tour they did, was playing a Mustang Bay. So he kind of, he's getting Bill's tone there. You can't get too funky or too busy on a Rolling Stones song. That's not that's not what's needed. He, you know, you got to play to the song. Yeah. You leave, yeah. And it's all about the rhythm and space. I understand we're, we're doing this now in uh, November of 2022, but supposedly there's new Rolling Stones music on the way uh, with the new drummer, Steve Jordan. They're recording at Electric Ladyland, which is not too far away from us, David. Right, and right. it would be interesting to see what the Stones do in, uh, they haven't put out a record since 2005. They did play out a blues record in 2016. And my opinion was they probably did that because they didn't have strong enough original material. But they did go back and, and, and put out a, a blues record, which is pretty good. Pretty good it record. It is a pretty good record. As a matter of fact, some of the tunes on that record, uh, better than that record, actually, they did a tribute collection. Uh, did you know about that? What what Called was that? Confessing the Blues. Okay. All right. Which was songs that they did that they thought were um, important to their development. We've got Red Rooster, Boogie Chillin' by John Lee Hooker, Come Back Baby by Little Walter, Little Queenie, Can't Judge a Book by by its cover. Eddie Taylor Jr., I didn't know that song. It's called Ride Em On Down. Okay. I'm a King B. Slim Harper, which they're, they're familiar with. All of Your Love, Magic Sam, Dust My Broom, Elmore James. 
They had some little water, muddy waters, Bill, Bill Brunzi, Mississippi, Fred McDowell, Jimmy wow. Reed, Big Maceo, Little Johnny Taylor. So you have a Big Maceo and a Little Johnny Taylor. Then you have a Howling Wolf. A lot of, and, a lot of uh, animals. Confessing the Blues. Bo Diddley, Elmore James, Boy Blue, Reverend Robert Wilkins. They had to have something in there with religion. Lightning <laughs> Slim and Billy Boy Arnold. I mean, it, it's a fantastic collection. It's called Confessing the Blues. Look at that. See, the problem is, David, we don't have uh, blues nicknames. You should be Blind Lemon Gross. Uh... No, I want to be Blind Lemon Pledge. <laughs> How about Davy the Grocery Boy? <laughs> Wavy Gravy Davy. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the song A Little Red Rooster when I saw Ron Wood's solo in 1993. That was at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. He had Bernard Fowler singing with him. And Van Morrison came on stage and he did a great version of Little Red Rooster. And he started singing Mick Jagger's The Little Red Rooster. And Ronnie was getting nervous because, you know, he was still on the payroll. He wasn't a full-fledged member of the Stones until many years later. So when your co-worker starts making fun of your boss, you really got to be... Uh, you got to be on your guard. So uh, glad to see that Ronnie finally got finally makes full salary with the Rolling Stone. Whatever that may be. Right. Not like notes from an artist, David. We pay everybody equal. That's right. That's right. Except we go home broke. <laughs> right. <laughs> we take the, the loss. So all right. That's there you it. go. There is our Bill Wyman episode. Uh, El Macambo is the latest of the Stones archival release, at least latest as of November 2022. Again, my opinion for what it's worth is it's the best recording of Bill Wyman live. And I, I you know, props to get your yayas out. You should go back and check that one out as well. I think this record really benefited from the remastering uh, process. I don't know how Yaya's was recorded as opposed to the Mel Combo Club. Did they have a board there? Could you record off the board? Yeah, but the thing is, you got to also remember it's 1969. So obviously, yeah. even from 69 to 77, the original tapes, obviously the quality is going to be better for Macombo. More importantly, Macombo's in a club where right. Yaya's was uh, Madison Square Garden. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, I also recommend uh, for you... By the way, do you hear Godfrey out back barking? Yes, what's that? He agrees with me about Yaya's <laughs> being the uh, the better record. All right, well, there you go. David talks to his dog, ladies and gentlemen. We won't go into that. But also for Stones fans, do check out the archival release, Let's Spend the Night Together. Or is it? No, it's late. I'm sorry, it's Ladies and Gentlemen, The Rolling Stones which is their 1972 tour. And again, another concert uh, recording where Bill is way up in the mix and you really get to hear him on Stone songs that he didn't originally play bass on, which always begs the question, why don't you have Bill come back and cut the bass tracks? And as we talk about archival releases and the Stones have been doing wonderful jobs with the uh, deluxe editions of Exile on Main Street, Tattoo You, Goat's Head Soup. I love the fact that they go back and they take some tracks that weren't finished Mick goes in, recuts the vocals, writes new lyrics. Keith comes in and does some guitar parts. They will call in Mick Taylor. And they're really well worth listening to because they do. They, they're complete albums. You can enjoy them again. It's nice to hear new old Rolling Stones albums. And what I really love, uh, the one track where Jimmy Page plays on Scarlet. Maybe we'll slip that one in there. Uh, with Rick Gretsch on bass and Jimmy Page on guitar. I think Zeppelin was recording next door and they were hanging around. And Rick Gretsch yeah. was around and... They did a great, great version, and Mick went back, uh, recut the vocals, and imitated what he sounded like at the age of 
30, I guess, or 31 when he made that record. So kudos to the Stones for doing justice to their archives. Unlike the Beatles, who put out table scraps and Ringo's answering machine messages and bits of incidental chatter, the Stones really, they do a great job with their archival releases. You know, I'm thinking, Tom, maybe we should do a a record of all our outtakes. A radio show of all our outtakes, yes. And and call it Revolving. <laughs> I call it oh shit because that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> David and Tom present oh shit. So okay, listen to Bill Wyman this again on on this record uh, comes highly recommended uh, from David and Tom. And we'll see you again on the next show. Thanks for listening to Notes from an Artist. You can listen to us on our podcast, David, on wherever podcasts are potted. You can listen to us on CygnusRadio.com if you got nothing else to do on a Monday night. Where everything is Cygnus, right? We don't even know what a Cygnus is, but. It's out there. And uh, if you can handle looking at us, we have our own YouTube page. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And do go to our website, www.notesfromanartist.com, and you can come see the Notes from an Artist Orchestra. If you're good, we'll put you on stage with us. Uh, you can heckle us. You can get our autograph. We'll get your autograph because you actually listen to us. Real yeah, all good. one of you, thank you very much. Thank you to our listener. <laughs> all right, Dave. Peace out. Goodbye now.